0: Coming up on today's future award-winning Moral Analytics podcast, episode 194, taking a little bit of a left turn from normal Buffalo sports talk, got something different for you today, really excited about this one. I'm going to be joined by well-known TV host, reporter, and also one of the best interviewers of professional wrestlers in the entire world, Chris Van Vliet will join me today. We're going to talk about his life fascinating career that he's had, one that's taken him all the way from Canada to Miami. This man has interviewed some of the most famous people in Hollywood. We'll talk about a few of them, including the time Leslie Mann and Dakota Johnson, two A-listers in Hollywood, straight up pinning on him during a TV interview, went viral. He's also a former Cosmopolitan magazine Bachelor of the Year. And like I said, this guy has interviewed many of the biggest wrestlers on the planet. His YouTube channel is nearly a quarter million subscribers, fascinating dude, and also one of the most nicest, famous people you'll ever meet. I'll have my chat, Chris Van Vliet, for you in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's episode is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there, bar none. And that's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, and affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels. And the difference has been literally remarkable, like night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls that you can get real cheap from Amazon. Decide it looks pretty and call it a day. It may look the part, but it's not going to help the quality of your sound Go visit AutoMute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound. Do the people who hear it. A very big service. Go visit AutoMute.com. And on that note, let's do the pod.
1: Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moran Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Let's
0: go! All right, what's going on, everyone? Episode 194 Moran Analytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening downloading the show, continuing to support the podcast means an awful lot to me. Not going to do the typical Buffalo sports chat thing today. Not a lot going on right now in the world of Buffalo sports. Nothing really going on with the bills and other, of course, than the Sabres being a complete dumpster fire or disaster, ready to miss the playoffs for a ninth straight year, fans going crazy, trying to protest. Just a real ugly scene. But anyway, not going to talk about that today. Maybe we'll dive into that a little more on Friday's episode. Today, a really good opportunity to do something different. And I have a guest coming on today. I've really wanted to have this guy on for quite a while now, man. His name is Chris Van Vliet. If you're a fan of Hollywood Entertainment, you may know who he is. If you're a fan of professional wrestling, it's an absolute lock that you're gonna know who this guy is. His Chris Van Vliet uh, channel on YouTube, nearly quarter million subscribers. He has sit downs with some of the best current and past wrestlers in the industry, quite literally, second to none. And his videos, literally binge worthy for wrestling fans. I find myself sometimes working during the day, I throw on his YouTube channel, I catch up on especially older, Interviews that he had with uh, wrestlers that I didn't see at the time. I spend sometimes a couple hours a day just listening and watching uh Chris Van Fleet interviews. Really good. Again, sat down. Who's who in professional wrestling? Guys like Cena and Chris Jericho and Jim Ross and Rick Flair, Hulk Hogan, Goldberg, virtually everyone on the WWE and AEW rosters, really relaxing style, very loose, very comfortable. Chris gets these guys, these girls to open up like few others can. I think that's what really separates his interviews from a lot of the other ones that you see on YouTube and on TV. Beyond that, he's also sat down with tons of Hollywood A-listers for chats. A list that includes Ben Affleck and Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, of course The Rock, Leslie Mann, Dakota Johnson. I remember this very well at the time. 2016, both of them started hitting on Chris, something fierce. Cannot wait to talk to him about that. But really for me anyway, what's my favorite thing about a guy like Chris Van Vliet, and that's what got me wanting him on this podcast today to chat him up, dude just seems so down to earth, man. He's a good looking, successful guy, rubbing elbows with Hollywood royalty and interviews, not to mention some of the biggest wrestlers on the planet, guys that I admire that. I love watching on TV. I look up to the former Cosmo magazine Bachelor of the Year. I don't know, man. On the surface, all that stuff would just reek of arrogance. I know it'd be if it was me. That's for damn sure. But Chris just seems like the nicest dude. I reached out to him about getting him on the podcast, and it took him, I don't know, a few minutes, and he got back to me. I didn't have to sit there and pitch him to death like I do sometimes when I have guests on. Told the guy who I was what the podcast was, a few former guests and the direction that I wanted to go with the interview. And he was down, went out of his way to make the time, rearrange his schedule so that I could do the interview with him. And as far as that interview, the direction, pretty common for what I like to do on this podcast when I have an interesting guest and that's give his fans and fans of this podcast an opportunity to learn more about him beyond just the TV interviews and the YouTube videos that he has. We spent time today talking about his childhood growing up in Canada, what got him into the business, the, the bachelor thing, what led him to Miami. We highlight some of the great interviews he's had with actors and pro wrestlers. And of course, like always, we have him the little mini lightning round. Really good stuff. This is a TV guy that I really, really admire. Again, something different today. Enough here at the top. Let's just get right down to business. Here it is. My chat with Chris Van Vliet. All right, my guest today, and I'm pumped about this one, TV personality, four-time TV Emmy award-winning entertainment reporter, and most importantly, at least for the wrestling fan in me, the owner of a hugely popular YouTube channel where he's interviewed countless wrestling superstars, both past and present. His sit-downs are easily one of my favorite things to watch. I'm talking, of course, about Chris Van Vliet. What's going on, Chris? How you doing? I'm doing great, Patrick. Thank you so much for having me on. I am literally pumped to have you on, man. It's such a nice break for me, getting off Buffalo sports a little bit and get an opportunity to talk to a guy like yourself, somebody that I've been a really big fan of. And I'll tell you what, look, I can literally talk forever with you just about some of your wrestling interviews. And I'm certainly gonna hit on at least a few of those shortly. But I also, I wanna give fans out there listening a chance to learn a little more about you as a, as a person and your career beyond just the work that we see all the time, especially on YouTube today. So let's spend a few minutes going there. Now you're born and raised in Ontario,
1: Canada, correct? Yeah, I'm just across the lake from you, uh, just outside of Toronto. So uh, it's actually funny, growing up, we would get all the Buffalo TV stations. So I got to ask you, Patrick, are you more of a Salino guy or Barnes guy?
0: (laughs) Neither. (laughs) That is funny you know that. I forgot. You know what that is, right? You did grow up being able to watch Buffalo TV. Let me ask you this too, because again, I've seen you for going back years out with YouTube and interviews that you've done, you're a natural in front of the camera, right? Did that kind of like being ham for the camera, did that come easily for you even at a young age? Were you still really young when you started imagining, imagining your life in like this type of role?
1: Uh, it's funny. Like when I was four years old, I had a Fisher Price tape recorder with a microphone attached to it, and I would pretend to be a radio broadcaster. And I'm sure my parents still have those cassette tapes somewhere. But I was like pretty introverted growing up, and I remember having to like do presentations in front of my class when I was in fifth and sixth and seventh grade, and I was just terrified of it. And something happened in high school, like tenth ish grade. And I completely came out of my shell and loved, you know, being in front of a crowd. So I was, I was the host of the morning announcements. I would host the talent show. I ended up being the vice president of my student council. And it was always my dream to be on TV for a living. And we had a communication studies class in 10th and 11th and also 12th grade and You basically write a TV segment at the start of the week, you'd film it all week, and then it would, you'd show it to the class at the end of the week on Friday. And every single time without fail, I was always the host or the reporter or the news anchor or whatever role that, you know, had me being on camera, whereas all my friends would be the camera operator, the audio guy or whatever. And I just... I loved it. And I knew that that was something I wanted to do for a living. And, you know, it's very kind of you to say that I'm comfortable in front of the camera, but it takes time because you think you're great when you're starting out and then you watch it back a year or two or five later and you like shudder going, that was so terrible back then.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you what, were people around you? Did you kind of get that feeling right away that Hey, this kid's got some talent. I'm not talking about like necessarily family. I'm just talking about even strangers or people from school. They're like, all right, this kid has something because whether it's TV, whether it's you're a writer or just really good at math or really good at sports, sometimes when you're, even when you're young, you see, you sense that people around you could see something special that's happening. Did you kind of get that sense from what you gather from other people, even at a young age?
1: I think for me, it was just like, I did it with a great amount of confidence. Like whether I was good at it or not, I did it like not really caring what other people thought. And I think that when you approach that, whether it's broadcasting and hosting or whatever it is that you're passionate about, I think that people start to see that in you and start to recognize at a young age that, oh, you're the guy who likes whatever, fill in the blank, right? So the fact that I approached it with a lot of confidence, I think just helped the fact that maybe I wasn't great at it, but I was passionate about it and I had a confidence about it and that that really helped drive me to want to, you know, consistently try to do better.
0: I'm going to kind of weave in and out of wrestling talk a little bit here anyway. When did you first, (laughs) when did you first become a wrestling fan? Do you remember when you first became a fan? Who were a
1: few of your favorite wrestlers? So when I was growing up, I was not allowed to watch wrestling. Let me just put that out there. My parents absolutely hated it. Wow. Uh, so so I grew up in the '80s, and we'd go to my grandparents' house, and every once in a while on a Saturday night, my grandfather would have it on, and I was just really drawn to the larger-than-life characters. You know, at the time it was uh, Macho Man and Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Sergeant Slaughter. You know, all those you know huge characters in the late '80s. And I just, whenever I went to grandma and grandpa's house, we'd watch it and I didn't really think much of it. And then in the late nineties, I'm in high school and I'm on the wrestling team there. And some of my friends liked wrestling and I was like, well, come on, that's, that's not real. That's not real wrestling. What we do on the mats, that's real wrestling. And I, I just, I happened to watch a few episodes at a, at a buddy's house and I was hooked like, and there was no turning back. And like I said, my parents hated it. And there would be days like where I was watching Monday Night Raw and my dad would like, s- I would hear him storming down the stairs to the basement where I was watching it. And he would literally stand in front of the TV and I'm 15, 16 years old at the time. And he'd be like, you're not watching this. And I'm like, come on, dad, like <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon are feuding. I need to see what's going to happen here. <laughs> what kind he, of- would, he was adamant that I could not watch this. So. I learned the trick that every kid learns. Usually it's with, you know, the the scrambled channels, but uh, I I learned the trick that when I heard dad coming down the stairs, I would flick to the hockey game or the baseball game and just pretend I was watching that. (laughs) So you wrestled in high school? Yeah, I was, uh, I was uh, on the wrestling team and it's funny. I was such a small kid. Ninth grade, I was 98 pounds, which isn't a weight class. So I wrestled at 104 pounds and we barely had anyone that was that size So I was actually at wrestling practice, wrestling against girls because there was no one else that was my size on the wrestling team. Finally, you know, I I started lifting weights, I uh, hit puberty, which was a magical thing. Uh, And uh, I ended my career wrestling at 149 and actually, you know, doing fairly solid in the province of, uh, of Ontario. Oh, cool. Were you a good student as a kid? Yeah, I was actually. And the reason I was so small, 98 pounds in ninth grade, is because I skipped a grade. Uh, I was so far along when I was in kindergarten and first grade that my parents were worried that I was going to start getting bored in school. So they asked the school board if they could advance me a year. So I ended up doing first and second grade in the same year. And then the next year, I was in third grade as the youngest, smallest kid, but also the smartest kid. And that kind of carried on throughout my entire school career that stuff just came really easy for me. uh, I felt like with, with school. So you go
0: to college in Ontario at this point of your life in your mind, do you feel like you're all in for a career in television? I'm assuming you are, but maybe I'm wrong. Were there other things at that time that you considered that maybe you would want to do? Or were you pretty much like this? I know what I want to do. This is what it's going to be.
1: That's a great question. And I I was all in, in my mind that I wanted to do radio or TV. And you got to remember, I went to college in 2001. So like the internet, you know, very much in its infancy, where it was an everybody's homes at least. Um and then you you know you were still relying on TV for your news and your information and I loved watching like MTV and I was a big fan of like some of the like like blind date. I loved that show. Like I wanted to be a TV host like Roger Lodge on Blind Date. If anyone knows Blind Date like that was the guy I wanted to be. Yeah. So I went to school for communication studies thinking like If TV doesn't work out, I've got the I can fall back on public relations or marketing or sales like communication studies is broad enough that if I didn't get into the tiny niche that is broadcasting, I could fall back on something else. But let me tell you, man, I I worked my ass off in college to really pad my resume and really like have a lot of experience so that when I did finally graduate, I'd be able to go, hey, look. I volunteered here, I worked at this radio station, I worked at this TV station, so that when I graduated I'd be able to like hopefully transition into a job, which you know I was able to do. Let me ask you about
0: a couple of them. So I'm looking at your bio here, uh, a station in Peterborough, Ontario. You hosted an MTV two show, 969 in Vancouver, and then Inside Jam on Sun TV in Toronto. How did those experience help on your craft even further? Because at, that, at the point, and we're going to talk about this in a few, you'd go to Cleveland and then eventually on the, down to Miami. But those places in Canada, how did that help you?
1: Well, the Peterborough, Ontario job was my first ever job. I kind of begged and borrowed and scratched my way into an internship there. So to make a long story short, my I was about to graduate from college and I was like, I really need to line up an internship when this year is done. I think I had like four months left of school. And I reached out to like every TV station in the general vicinity and basically said, hey, can I come be an intern? And most of them said, if it's not affiliated with your school's program, like, sorry, we have no interest. And it wasn't. I was basically doing this on my own, trying to get some quote unquote real world experience. So this station in Peterborough was about a 60 mile drive from my hometown. So about an hour ish each way if it wasn't snowing. Oh. And I reached out to I reached out to them and said, "Hey, it's uh it's spring break next week. I'm going to be in Peterborough," which was a complete and total lie, but I just made this up. <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be there next week. It'd be great to just come in, see the station and talk to you about an internship." And they said, "Well, you know what? We don't normally take on interns that aren't affiliated with a program, but eh, if you're going to be in town, why not?" And like I said, it was a total complete fabrication, but I made myself available, which ended up kind of being the theme of my career. Just make yourself available, you know, make yourself, uh, put yourself in in a situation where they can't say no. So they ended up giving me an internship and I thought I'd be like making photocopies and fetching coffee. But after two weeks I went in and my job had basically been to like shadow one of the reporters. And when you're at a small station, the reporters also shooting and writing the stories and editing the stories. And after two weeks, I went in and I said, all right, well, you know, what's the story today? And they said, well, here's your story. I said, oh, cool. Who? Which reporter am I going out with? They said, you're going out with Terry, but this is your story. You're going to be on the six o'clock news tonight. Oh, so wow. here I was a 22-year-old intern, and I was on the news that night. And from that day on, my internship consisted of me being a reporter until they actually ended up hiring me on as a reporter and that kind of you know jump started my career
0: were people very helpful for you early on in your career or did you kind of get a little bit of that you know
1: you got to learn the ropes yourself kid kind of deal I feel like everyone was super helpful because I approached every situation like uh, that. I really wanted to learn and I approached every situation like I was a sponge. I wanted to go in and learn as much as I possibly could. And I think that people were really receptive to that. And I think that that really helped me out. So now after Canada,
0: 2010, you moved to Cleveland. What prompted that? And was that a difficult decision for you or was that a pretty easy one?
1: Uh, It was an interesting decision because after the Peterborough job that I was just talking about, I ended up hosting this amazing, incredible job for MTV two in Vancouver, which I was 23 at the time. It was a dream job and the job ended up going away. Like one media company bought this other media company and our show got canceled after only a year. So it kind of left me going, oh my God, I just had my dream job at 23 years old. Now I have no job what am I going to do? And there's not as many opportunities in Canada as there are in the U S in terms of TV hosting. So I applied for some, I'd applied for some other TV jobs and I'd been in the final two or three or four and just not gotten them. So I'm like, if I can't get a job in my own country, I'm going to look for a job elsewhere. And that's when I got an agent in the U S and started taking auditions in the U S and that's what led to that. So it was, it was a slow process and it was a slow transition because it took a lot for an American TV station to go, yeah, we're willing to, you know, basically support this person for a work visa. You know, I, they had to, they had to sponsor my legal ability to work in another country. Uh, so that was a big hurdle. But once that hurdle was crossed, it was like, here I am, I'm now in the U S where there's an infinite amount of possibilities compared to where I was living and working in Canada. And I was just super excited about that. You mentioned
0: being a finalist for a couple of jobs and ultimately not getting them. Let me ask you this. When you're in your early twenties, very young adult still, could that be a difficult pill to swallow? Especially if you're not careful, like that could really ruin your confidence or at least shake you a little bit. If you're not careful, do you know what I mean? Having that attitude, you got to have the right attitude especially if things don't work out your way early on. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, there's no question. And it was so difficult to like go from a national show. And I was applying for literally anything and everything that required a host. And I was 24 ish, 25 ish during that transition. And I was unemployed for seven months. And to be like the finalist for these jobs and not get it and see it go to someone that's a little bit older, or maybe has a little bit more experience. I couldn't take it personally, but it was so difficult. Cause I was like, this is my dream. This is my dream to be a TV host. And if I can't do this, like it had me questioning, like, what do I do now? And I was actually starting to look into other options. Like if, if I couldn't do this, here, what was I going to do? And I started looking into other career paths. And that's when I actually started also looking into like getting an agent in the U S but look, I wasn't going to take no for an answer. If I did hear no for these jobs, I was going to at least take it as like a chance to learn and grow and get better and better equip myself for the next audition. And eventually that ended up leading me to get another great, amazing job. That really helped my career.
0: Yeah. Now,
1: in 2011,
0: you won the Cosmopolitan Magazine Bachelor of the Year. That's really yeah. cool. And I read, by the way, that that's really cool, man. And I read that you donated the money that you won with that, too. I think it was like to the Boys or Girls Club or something like that. What did that mean to you? Not only winning that award. I mean, that's, you got to admit, that's a pretty prestigious thing to have. And, you know, and the trophy case there. But not just that, but giving back too after winning that. What did that mean to you?
1: That was a, yeah, and, and thank you for approaching it like that, because most people are like, ah, you were the Bachelor of the Year for Cosmopolitan magazine, and there's this picture of you shirtless on a beach. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yes, yes, there is a picture of me shirtless on a beach. It was it honestly started out as kind of a joke. Like, uh, one of my coworkers at the TV station I worked for in Cleveland said, hey, Cosmopolitan's, like, searching for this Bachelor of the Year thing. They're going to pick one person from each state, I'm going to nominate you from Ohio. And I said, oh, haha, that's like funny, let's do it, sure. And then two weeks later, like Cosmopolitan called me and they're like, you were nominated. Here's a bunch of questions. Next thing you know, I'm the Ohio representative. They fly us all to New York, like every single one of us from every single state. And I ended up being the person that won. And I was, I was so proud to be able to donate the prize money. So it was $10,000. I was wow. 28 years old. I was 28 years old at the time. $10,000 is, you know, that's not chump change. No. And I had said from day one that if I won, I was going to donate it to the Boys and Girls Club of Cleveland. And that was a cause that the TV station I worked for uh, worked with a lot. And I was so proud to be able to support that. So it was like a win all around. Like, sure, I got to be in this magazine and, and that was kind of cool. But the fact that it was a $10,000 donation to this incredible cause, this incredible charity, it was just win-win.
0: That, that really is awesome. So now let's fast forward a couple of years, 2015, stay on that LeBron phrase right here. You took your tail in South Beach, go to Miami, join the entertainment program, Deco Drive. What went into that decision for you?
1: So I'd been in Cleveland at that point for five years, and it was the most incredible part of my career at that point. And what was it was interesting because I had just gone from Toronto and Vancouver, two really big Canadian cities to Cleveland, which, as you know, it's it's not as big of a city. But man, I had so many incredible opportunities there. I went to the Oscars four times, the Grammys five times. uh, I won four Emmy Awards while I was there. And I just felt like it was great, but I wanted to do something a little bit more. And I knew that there was an opening at the TV station in Miami for this you know, incredible entertainment show called Deco Drive, which was a, a nightly live entertainment show. And I knew that it would kind of like be the next step up. So uh, kind of going back to the internship Peterborough job that I was talking about, they didn't want to fly me in for an interview. And I said, well, I, I'm gonna happen to be in Florida at the end of the month at Disney World. I know that Orlando is not that close to Miami, but what if I changed my flight, called into work sick on Monday and rented a car? If I took myself and brought myself down to Miami, would you guys at least give me an audition? And they kind of went, all right, I guess so. And it was me going through all of that stuff and jumping through all those hoops, making myself available, that allowed me to at least go in in person, prove myself. And then they could say no to you know me in person rather than saying no to just a tape that I was sending in. So I really went the extra mile to just make sure that I could give myself the best possible opportunity. And then I was in Miami for five years, and it was amazing. I, I interviewed pretty much every celebrity that I could possibly have wanted to interview. I got to travel the world. Um, I I did interviews in London and Paris. I was in Los Angeles and New York frequently, and it was just an incredible job. And I was also able to, at that station, start to grow my YouTube channel, which has pretty much been my main focus now.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell you this, you you said making yourself available. And a lot of people, I have a lot of, whether it's usually sports media people on this podcast, and I always kind of go back to like, this advice scene, because I feel like there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who might be aspiring, whether it's a sports writer or a newscast or something like that. And the phrase I keep going back to sticks in my head as you're talking about and going through your career to this point is making yourself available. Just
1: how important that really is. Well, no, one's going to just call you up or send you an email and go, Hey, guess what? We've got this amazing job for you, Chris. Right? Uh, I think, I think that people need to realize that you need to make yourself available. And then as your career continues to go on and you get better, make yourself irreplaceable and undeniable. Um, and I think that uh, these opportunities might be out there, but you have to find them. And very rarely are these opportunities gonna find you. And I think that unfortunately there's too many people that will take a no as like a, well, you know, I applied for, I applied for, I really want to be a, I don't know, just make up a job. I really wanted to be a painter and I applied for this art school. They said no. So I guess I can't be a painter. You know, why not apply to 70 other art schools or why not start to go and go in person or start to volunteer, whatever you can do to get yourself in that door. And I think that there's too many people that take one, no, uh, to equal a hundred no's. They go, well, that one that one place didn't like me. That means all the other places won't.
0: In January of 2016, you you talked about interviewing many, many celebrities. I remember this personally going back a couple of years. You interviewed Leslie Mann and Dakota Johnson. They were promoting How to Be Single, the movie. Leslie Mann, for people out there listening, the 40-year-old version, this is 40. Uh, so many movies. Dakota Johnson, of course very famous actress. And they quite literally started hitting on you the entire time. I'm going to play the clip because I know there's some people listening who haven't heard it. I'm going to at least play some of it. I'm not going to play the entire thing. I'll play about a minute of it. When I get back, I kind of want to get your reaction. I mean, this video went viral. I saw on YouTube. There's like literally a couple million hits that were on this. You never broke stride. We're going to talk about that after. But first for the people out there listening, I'm going to play this clip. Here it is. This was Chris having an interview with Leslie Mann and Dakota Johnson, and they really didn't care about promoting their movie. They were talking all about
1: Chris. Here it is. How cute your socks are. Thank you. We no know. one sees them on TV, but I know that they're there. So. We know they're there. Yeah, are you, you single? I am single. You're handsome. Wow, oh, thank you. <laughs> Tell me more. You're, you have cute socks. You look like Barbie. you have really big muscles. Barbie! Olivia, you guys look hot guys. Hot guys. This is amazing. Hi. <laughs> wow. Good to meet you. I can't Barbie, find anyone get in, in here. Miami. Hi, I'm Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> this is Barbie. Barbie's gonna knock her out of the way. Wait, where are you from? Oh, uh, Miami.
0: Oh, forget it. He lives in Miami. Oh, uh, sorry. Yeah,
1: Miami. I mean, I this this He can pretty...
0: move. Do you work out a lot?
1: You yeah, look like you work out. You look out. like you pump No, iron. I just wear yeah. really small clothes. You get swolled up. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Swoll patrol. I, I just wear small clothes, so it looks like I'm in better I shape. I don't think so. No, yeah, mm. it's, it's really it's Can you take off your shirt? Which one? All of them. All of it. Sure. I <laughs> could start with the jacket here. I do it seductively. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe you guys, I'll, Maybe I'll undo one button. One button. How suit. about two
0: buttons? Two buttons. Oh, it's two more suit. buttons? Yes. Otherwise, we won't speak. Yeah. All right, Chris. I First of all, let me, let me say this right now. Okay. I could be walking into a corner dive bar right now. And if some girl even says hello to me, I might get shook. All right. You, you never broke stride during an interview. It was awesome. How do you, how do you keep that shit together? How do you so easily keep that together? You got two major mega Hollywood stars severely flirting with you on
1: air, not even trying to hide it. How do you keep that together? Well I honestly went into the interview going uh well first of all my friend had just walked out doing an interview like right before me. So when you do these junket style interviews the actors sit in a room all day and then like reporters come in for 3-4 minutes yeah, at a time right. all day. So like 40-50 interviews. So my friend had just done an interview and he's basically like well good luck like that's they're they're not very good today and I'm like oh, all right so I just went in like I was smiling and being nice. And I think that, I mean, Leslie Mann even talked about this later on 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 like a late night talk show basically said we'd had such a long day that this was a breath of fresh air. And for me, when they started kind of going down that path, I'm like, let's see how far we can take this. And the show that I was working for in Miami, fortunately, loves this type of stuff and like loves stuff that's outside of the box, getting answers in these interviews that is that are different from what the other people get. So when they started going down, down that path, I'm like, well, let's see how far we can take this. And I just kept pushing it and seeing how this conversation would go. And it was so much fun. It was one of the most entertaining interviews I've been a part of. I still honestly can't believe that it happened. And I I didn't realize what it was going to turn into. I posted that on my YouTube channel and I thought, you know, this interview will do well because Dakota Johnson's kind of like acting a little bit different than we've, normally seen yeah. and she has a, she has a massive following from 50 shades so i'm like all this post is on there and her 50 shades fans will enjoy it and then i posted that, i think on a friday and by monday it had a million views and was featured in literally every entertainment publication from e-news to tmz to huffington post you you name it it was out there and i'm like well i think. Uh, This was definitely a different style of interview.
0: I'll tell you, I remember it because at that time I had no real connection knowing you with wrestling interviews that I remember seeing it all over the place. And it's as impressive as it should be, or it is that you have these two Hollywood stars hitting on you. I just, I keep coming back to just being impressed how you were able to keep your composure, but that kind of goes back as, and we're going to talk about this in a few as well. You have this interview style with people, and I noticed mainly from wrestling, because I binge watch a lot of your wrestling interviews. You're very good oh, at thank you. you're very good at looking comfortable and the person, the subject that you're interviewing, them seeming comfortable as well. Was that kind of like a process for you too? Learning how it's one thing to interview somebody, it's another thing to do it looking comfortably and making sure that the person that you're interviewing is comfortable too, so that they can open up more.
1: Oh, for sure. And I remember early on in my career, like they would post these raw interviews, like from some of the other stations that I liked watching. Um, and they would, these would be 10, 15, 20 minute interviews when at the time we were only airing a minute or two on TV. And I remember watching those and like, I'm like, I would be so embarrassed if someone watched my full 10 or 15 minute interview with, Whichever movie star or or musician that I was interviewing at the time when I was on the show in Vancouver. And I just kind of realized that I was taking the approach that these were interviews when in reality, these are just conversations like what we're doing right now, Patrick, is just a conversation and a very good one, by the way. You're very good at this uh, as well. And thanks. I think that people don't realize, especially when you're starting off that it's just a conversation between two people. Like if, if I ran into you at a party tonight or we went out for a beer tonight, we wouldn't be sitting there going, Oh my God, I don't, I don't know what to talk to this person about for an hour. The conversation would just flow. And I think that when you're an interviewer, especially in these long form interviews, like we now have a podcasts, if you are studied up on the person, if you've done your research, you should be prepared that wherever the conversation happens to go, you'll be comfortable with going with it. And that's kind of the approach that I've always taken. And I'm just as invested in, the, in these conversations as the person who's watching this. So I try to act like a mirror. I try to act like a mirror during these conversations for the person that I know is watching this. I want to be the mirror to the wrestling fan. Uh, and hopefully you know, they can see a little bit of themselves in me. And I also hope that I can be a mirror for the person I'm sitting next to during these conversations that I'm, I'm respectful to them and appreciating them and listening to them. And that I would just hope to get that in return from them as well.
0: Do you feel like it's a process that's learned over time, being comfortable with people who are in front of you as if it's somebody who's famous, like you just said, it's one thing if now, if you come by my house, you pick me up, we're going to the bar, we'll have some conversation it'll flow. That's easy in a way, but it's gotta be. A little daunting, at least at first anyway, maybe you get used to it after a while. It's one thing to have Patrick Moran in front of you and you're talking to him. It's another thing to have Denzel Washington or Ben Affleck or Dwayne Johnson or John Cena, all these guys that you've sat there and had long interviews with. Is it kind of like a process to you to, to be able to get that comfort zone that, hey, this
1: guy's a human being just like I am? Yeah. And it definitely takes time to get to that point. Like, you know, when you, when you get your first couple big interviews in your career, it's hard not to be a fangirl or a fan boy for those conversations. But then you start to realize that, yeah, they're just a person like we are. And for the most part, if you're doing an interview with one of these people, they're promoting something. So they're kind of in media mode. They're kind of in, you know, like positive attitude mode. So I think that that really helps as well, but you know, nothing can beat the time that you put into it. And even when I look back at my interviews just two years ago, and you know, I'm kind of, well, I'm definitely a little bit embarrassed about, you know, just how it was. And and I think I learned this early on. Someone told me that if you look back at your old stuff as a broadcaster and you're not embarrassed by what you saw, you know, you're doing something wrong because yeah. you could, you, sh- you should constantly be making progress.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree with that more. Even a podcast like mine, I go back and listen to some of my uh, earlier episodes and it's, it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. I mean, now people will say, Oh, you don't agree. No, no, I didn't. You know, the question the it sounded robotic and it wasn't a conversation. I could tell instantly. So yeah, it's definitely evolving for sure. Now you've interviewed so many big Hollywood names. Is there like one or two favorites that really stick out to you that were like really big thrills or just conversations that you came away from? Like, man, this was really good. I'm so happy that I got the chance to do this.
1: I, for sure. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a wrestling fan, but The Rock is the greatest interview you could possibly ask for. I mean, he's he's funny, he's charismatic, he's energetic, and he has this incredible celebrity quality about him where he makes interview also about you like he's the biggest arguably the biggest celebrity in the world and he somehow turns it around to make it also about you and it's it's very comforting especially if you are approaching it like you know with some sort of nerves but it's also just like it, it just really is reflective of the person that he is and he was the number one on my list for the longest time Dwayne Johnson was the one person I wanted to interview more than anybody and now I've had the good fortune of interviewing him nine times. Not that, I, not that I'm counting or anything.
0: Well, let me ask you this. How did the interviews with wrestlers and putting it on your YouTube channel become
1: a regular thing for you? It kind of happened by accident, you know, in working in entertainment news and celebrity news, I had access to all kinds of different celebrities that we would have on the TV show. Everyone from actors to authors, to uh, comedians, to wrestlers, to musicians, like all across the board. And I remember doing an interview with I'd done a few, obviously done wrestling interviews, and it was always, let's be honest, a tough sell to my news director or my boss that like, hey, let's get in this wrestler that you've probably never heard of. Right. Uh, you know, and they would usually, you know, go, okay, if you're into this wrestling thing, go ahead and do it. And we would do a two-minute live interview on TV, or we would do a pre-taped interview and only air 20 seconds of it on TV. But I'm sitting there with... I'm trying to think of some of my early interviews. I did like Jack Swagger and Mick Foley and uh, Mr. Kennedy. Like early on at Ted DiBiase Jr., I'd done these interviews early on. And I'm like, it's just not fair that here I am as a fan only doing a two-minute interview with them. And people are only going to see maybe 30 seconds. So I started just going kind of selfishly as a fan. I want to have a longer interview. So I would do a 10-minute interview and just shoot the raw video. And I'm like, I'm gonna put this up on my YouTube channel, and I'm sure somebody else will appreciate this because I appreciate it as a fan. Right. And I'd actually kind of drawn some, I don't know, an inspiration from Ariel Hawani, who was doing the same type of thing for mixed martial arts. And I'm like, well, if I have access to wrestlers, why don't I start doing this thing for wrestlers? So I just started uploading the full interviews to my YouTube channel, thinking. At least a few other wrestling fans out there can appreciate this. And it was an interview I did with The Miz in 2011, right after CM Punk had left or had dropped the pipe bomb. And he had said in the interview, oh, this is the most exciting time to be a wrestling fan since the Attitude Era. And I didn't think anything of it. Someone found the interview somehow And I woke up the next morning and it had 6,000 views, which was way more than any interview I'd ever done before. Right. And then the day after that, it had 36,000 views. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm on to something. So that was kind of how it started. It was just out of, honestly, just a little bit of selfishness of like, I want more time with
0: these wrestlers. And it took a while, right, for word to really spread around wrestling circles about yourself in about the YouTube channel. It wasn't like overnight. You kind of just elaborate on that. Now, of course, people out there listening, if you don't know this, you got almost a quarter of a million subscribers at this point, but that didn't happen really quick, did
1: it? And it was, you're right. It it didn't happen quickly at all. I started my YouTube channel in 2011. So anybody who's listening out there who either has a YouTube channel and it's not taking off or is thinking about a YouTube channel and you're kind of worried about it, uh, it's, it's a long game. It's, it's a very slow game, but know that it's possible if you want to put in the work. So, so I think the reason I didn't become that well-known in the wrestling world is because my channel was just kind of interviews as a whole. I was putting everything up there. I was putting interviews with musicians up there and actors up there and wrestlers whenever I got them, which at the time was only like three or four times a year. And something happened in 2018 when I said you know what, I'm going to go out of my way to start to do more interviews. And in 2018, I'm like, I think I'm, I'm going to try to do 40 interviews this year, which my most of the time was something like maybe 15 wrestling interviews. So I'm like, I'm going to do 40. And I was living in Miami, which was fairly central if I wanted to drive to Tampa or Orlando. And I'm like, I'm just going to, if there's a wrestler there that's willing to do an interview, I'm going to go out of my way to do it. And once again, this was about creating opportunities for myself. And in 2018, I think I had like 40 ish thousand subscribers. Uh, And then by the end of that year, I had 100,000 subscribers. And then just last year, I gained another 110,000 subscribers just last year alone. And it was like I started creating these opportunities. And then I started becoming a place Where wrestlers, I guess, felt comfortable to have these conversations, and also, you know, if I would send an email to someone and say, "Hey, my previous guests include," even if you're not a wrestling fan, you'll recognize some of these names. My previous guests include The Rock and Mick Foley, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, John Cena, and then you know, someone who's maybe not one of those names can go, "Oh, well, if if those guys will say yes, then you know, I should too."
0: Yeah, there's no question about it, and you've probably put a lot of miles on your car. And uh frequent flyer miles over the last half of years to, uh, to do a lot of these interviews as well. I got to tell you, Chris, the reason why I end up binge watching your shows, your interviews, because I didn't see all of them right away. So now I'm finding myself watching all the new ones, but then I also go back and I catch up with ones that I didn't see, whether it was maybe six months ago, a year, year and a half ago, whatever. You have completely different styles within the same YouTube channel, the same show. Like for an example, the Kern Angle one, That was a a nice, somber, good, strong interview. Milena, you just had on a week or so ago. I felt like that really humanized her. In fact, I said this on Twitter, and I never tweet, by the way, at wrestlers. I just don't do that for whatever reason. I don't know why, but I don't. I said, this was a really good interview. And I said that I came away from it with a whole new appreciation for, I liked her a hell of a lot more after listening to her for 40, 50 minutes, whatever it was on your interview than I did before. I just felt like, I don't know. When back when she was in WWE, I don't know why. And I was being judgy and I have no reason to because I don't know her personally. I just, she felt like kind of bitchy to me. I'm just going to say it. But watching that interview, I was like, wow, this is a really sweet person. And then on the other end too, like you had MJF on not too long ago, that was in character, huh? lately in character. You got hotel service food while you were doing that. I'm like, You really do a good job at having different styles of interviews. It's not the same thing every time, the same type of conversation every time. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that, Patrick. Thank you. And I think that the biggest thing that I realized early on with my YouTube channel and just interviewing in general is it's not about me. And I think that the biggest misconception about YouTube is the word you. It should be them too, but it's all about the audience. And I think that the thing I realized early on is people are not coming to my channel to see me. They're coming to my channel to see my guests and maybe they appreciate the style of interview that we have, but I understand that I am definitely not the star. So I want to make these people shine and uh, I want to, I want them to be able to tell their story and, it's interesting that you brought Molina up because she actually reached out to me the other day and said, I can't thank you enough for doing that interview with me. It gave me a chance for people to see who I really was. And she's like, these comments have brought me to tears. Uh, People, you know, realizing who I really am after almost 20 years, which is, I'm just so glad that, you know, we were able to share that moment.
0: I started following her on Twitter. The second I heard the the interview, I thought it, It was really good. How how do you find the time to prep for these? How much prep work do you put into these interviews? Because one advantage of being a wrestling fan is you know a lot about these people, but obviously you got to put at least some prep time in. But again, when you see this on camera, those questions just flow. And that's got to be just from your overall TV experience. It's like you always know in the back of your mind, it feels like you always have two, three questions. You're two, three questions ahead of the game.
1: Yeah. And I think that one of the things that people do early on in their interviewing careers is they're going, OK, I'm going to ask this question. Then it's going to be followed by this question. Right. and then This question is going to come after. But there might be like a little nugget in what your guest is saying, and they're taking you down a different road. So if they're taking you down this other road that could be more interesting, you know, ride on that road with them. So for me, my preparation is just, you know, doing as much research as I possibly can. And I don't write out my questions specifically for these long term, long form interviews. I just kind of go, here's 12 or 15 or 20 topics I think would be re- really be interesting. And and I know that throughout the course of the conversation, they'll come up either naturally or they'll come up because, you know, I'll start to ask those questions. But I think the more you can know about your subject, uh, and and if you're a fan of whatever it is, uh, you're going to know a bunch about it. But the more you can know about that person, the better the conversation is going to be. It's like going in for a job interview. Uh, if you're going to go get hired by, I don't know, Coca-Cola, you should probably go in with more than just your personal experience of drinking a few cans of Coke. You should you know learn a little bit about you know where that company came from and what they stand for, you know, and other things like that. That will make you that much more knowledgeable and also show that person. That you respect them.
0: When I talk this throughout this podcast about comfort, it feels like your interviews seem very comfortable. They feel very comfortable, whether it's a wrestler, whether it's Hollywood stars hitting on you, whatever it may be. It just (laughs) seems like you stay in that comfort zone. But has there ever been maybe a wrestler or two that you've been a little intimidated to interview, or a Hollywood star that maybe I don't? Well, maybe intimidating isn't the best word. Maybe a little in awe to the point where. I know you talked about Dwayne Johnson because you really wanted to have him in an opportunity to interview him. But just somebody where it's like, again, I don't want to say shook because that's not a good word either. But just somebody that, you know, you really felt like you needed to lock in. I can't mess this one up.
1: I, I know it's funny, even though The Rock was like the person I was like so excited to interview. And I've interviewed him, you know, many times now. I get so nervous right before the interview starts because I know how much it means to me. And also I know how big of an interview that is and how big of a star he is, you know, for when I put that on my YouTube channel. So like, that's one of the few interviews where like palms are sweaty, like my heart's racing and it's, it's nothing to do with the individual himself. It's just the fact that I, I know how much he's riding on this. So as welcoming as the rock is and as charismatic and funny and great as he is, I just kind of psych myself out by going, Oh I'm like, Oh my God, I just hope this goes well. Um, but you know, rock makes it super easy. And I think that's, that's great. It's, it's what's difficult is when you do an interview with someone who doesn't want to be there, someone who's done, you know, either weeks of press or you're one of their last interviews for the day. And I don't want to name names specifically, but there's been those interview rooms where you go in and, you know, if my energy levels at a 10, which I try to always, you know, bring the joy as soon as I'm walking through the door and have that high energy, their energy might be like a three. So their three and my 10 makes us both like a six. So the interview, you know, <laughs> I, was interview gonna being, you okay. I was just going to ask you that.
0: I was literally just going to ask you that was going to be my last question before we finish up with a little mini lightning round here at the end is No matter how prepared you are, no matter how much energy you have, whether you host a podcast, whether you have a YouTube channel, whether you're on radio, TV, no matter what it be, not every interview is going to go the way that you want. So how do you handle that pretty much instantly? Because you got to think on your toes. You know what I mean? When that interview is not going that way, when that person that you're talking to is not bringing that energy, they're not giving you the quotes that you want. They're giving you one sentence answers while you got all these questions. How do you handle that?
1: I think the thing I got to, you know, realize in those situations is this is just how that person is. Like I I'm being me and I'm doing the best job that I can do at being me. And they're just doing you and, or they're doing them. And maybe I just didn't get, you know, the 10 out of 10 version of them that day. And that's okay. Uh, I I can't take that personally. I can't make any assumptions about it, that it's about me or about anything, you know, to do with me. And I just have to kind of roll with the punches and, I'll always be over-prepared for those situations. So often with these celebrity interviews, you only get like four or five minutes. So instead of preparing just four or five questions, I'll prepare maybe eight questions on the off chance that, you know, the interview answers won't be as good as they should be.
0: Well, these answers have been good and we're going to end it right now with the mini lightning (laughs) round. Here's what I'm going to do, Chris, just going to ask you a handful of random human interest questions, like kind of rapid fire style, not a lot of deep thought required. Like, Whatever the first answer is that pops in your mind, you can just spit that out. That's your answer. All right. You ready?
1: Got it. Favorite all-time athlete? Oh, wow. I thought this would be so much easier. Uh, I'm going to have to say Joe Carter because of the 1993 World Series and that home run. Okay. Favorite city that you visited? london i love london by the way i'm from toronto so i'm a huge blue jays fan that's why i said joe carter i, mean, <laughs> I remember that i love joe carter too it's the greatest home run in the, hit, absolutely. In, you know, the history of the world series absolutely
0: yeah. man who was your first celebrity crush
1: uh kristin cavallari from laguna beach <laughs> okay what's your oh and then i then i finally met her and i'm like I am definitely okay with this being my crush. She is very,
0: very attractive. What what is your like late night go-to snack? If you're going to snack on something, I know you like to keep fit, but every now and then you probably slip up a little bit. What's a good snack you like?
1: If I go to the, like, if I'm going to like the, the pantry and grabbing something, it's salt and vinegar, potato chips.
0: Okay. What movie have you probably rewatched more than any other movie?
1: The greatest movie of all time, Back to the Future.
0: Nice. All right. That's right up there for me, too. That's right up there for me, too.
1: That might be, I think, no, it's the greatest movie ever made. That movie has it all.
0: (laughs) Name a TV game show that you feel like you could potentially dominate if you were on it, whether it's a current game show, a past game show, something. If you were on
1: it, you're like, yeah, I can win this. I've always wanted to be on The Price is Right. And I feel like that's still a possibility. Like, let's put that out. Let's put that out into the universe, Patrick. Price is Right. I think that that'd be amazing. I'd I'd one dollar the crap out of everybody. <laughs> well,
0: like you said, you got it's about making yourself available. Yeah. So check it out. Instead of doing an interview right now, we're obviously doing this Skype many miles away, but let's pretend we're at a club right now. In fact, we're at a karaoke bar, okay? And in this okay. world, I have no idea if you could sing or not, but in <laughs> this world, you're an awesome singer, okay? So you're going to grab the mic. You're going to get up there at karaoke. What song are you going to sing that's, going to get the crowd singing along with you. What would be like your signature karaoke song, at least in your own mind anyway?
1: Uh, So I actually had to do a TV segment in Miami where it was live band karaoke. So I went up on stage with a live band backing me and I knew I had to get the crowd going because this was going to be televised on TV. And Sweet Caroline was the go-to and the whole crowd, bop, bop, (laughs) bop. It was... I felt like a rock star, even though my singing was just absolutely atrocious. When we watched the video back, <laughs> all right. Last couple here. If
0: you had never got involved in this industry in any fashion, or let's just say you gave it a shot at a young age, and you know you came to that pivotal point in your early mid twenties, it just wasn't going to work for you. You realize I can't do this. I got to do something else. What do you think you might have turned your attention towards doing?
1: I, I first of all want to say I'm like I'm super happy that I never did give up that I just kept kind of chasing after it. Sure. But I had thoughts of being a firefighter and two of my cousins are actually firefighters in Toronto. And I'm very envious of the type of job that they do. It's a very noble job. And, you know, obviously they're heroes in our community and I feel like that would be a great way to, to, to just to, to give back and to, have a job that matters. And so that was what I was, I was starting to, I wasn't looking into it, but I was starting to think like, if I can't do this, maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe I'll be a firefighter.
0: Hmm. All right. Second, last one here. If you can only follow one person on Twitter, like if Twitter were to send you a note, hey Chris new policy, you can only follow one person, one handle or person on Twitter. That's it. Who would it be? Who would be that one survivor, that one Twitter follow that you've got to have?
1: This is so tough because I don't use Twitter nearly as much as I use Instagram. Like Instagram, to me, I probably use like twenty to one. Oh and wow! I know that you and I, I know that you and I connected on, on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of throw you a little bit of a curveball and say that if I could only follow one person on Instagram, it would be The Rock because I think that his stuff is so motivating. Sure,
0: absolutely, and, and
1: it's so inspirational. But if I could only follow one person on Twitter. I'd be, I'd follow you, Patrick. <laughs> don't patronize me, Chris. <laughs> there you go. Cause I don't use it enough. Uh, I don't use it nearly as much as uh, Instagram. So it uh, connected us and you're a great guy. So boom, there you go.
0: Last one here, all right? Three dinner guests, any era, dead or alive, any part of history, three celebrities, whoever, three people at your dinner table tonight, a couple beers, some eats, some good conversation, or your three people, that you'd love to have on a show at the same time, something like that. Who you got?
1: So I think I got to go with the rock because he's my favorite interview. He's my favorite wrestler and he's just an all around great guy. But the rock is like the answer to every question. It seems, uh, Patrick, you're like, so uh, where'd you start out in the uh, TV industry? The rock. Well, he should Uh, be. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, the rock, um, one of my other favorite interviews and my favorite actor is Tom Cruise. And I'm just, I'm blown away by the work ethic that he has. And I think it'd be just so incredible to learn from him and to just figure out how he did everything that he did. And my third guest, I'm really fascinated by how Elon Musk's mind works. And I think that we'll, I mean, we talk about him now, like he's a brilliant entrepreneur, but I think we're going to be talking about him in a decade or two or five about being like an absolute genius who really changed the way that our uh, world works. So I'd love to sit down with all three of those people for different reasons. And I can't even imagine if the four of us got together for that conversation, (laughs) that would go.
0: Let me ask you one other thing before I let you go too, because we've talked about Dwayne Johnson a few times. Obviously you've had opportunities to interview him multiple times, gotten to know him a little bit. I'm sure that had to be heartbreaking for himself and for people like you are fans of Dwayne to see, you know, his father passing away and the beautiful touching eulogy that he recently gave and his Instagram posts and stuff like that. It's, I mean, really classy and just such a well-spoken
1: dude, man. Oh, absolutely. And the rock is who the rock is today because of who his father was. Uh, And, you know, his father led him down the path to want to become a pro wrestler and, then The Rock ended up wanting to dream bigger than that. And I think that if it wasn't for Rocky Johnson, uh, Dwayne Johnson wouldn't be the man that he is now. And yeah, you're right, that eulogy was ah, just so touching. And you know was, I don't think there was a dry eye from anyone who was watching that. So yeah, that was beautiful. It's also raised the bar incredibly high for any of us who need to eulogize a, a family member or close friend. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no question about that. Man. <laughs> All right, everyone out there listening, give Chris a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Chris Van Vliet. Of course, check out the YouTube channel, nearly quarter million subscribers and growing for good reason, man. You do great work. I'm such a big fan. And this was a big thrill for me to get you on the podcast today. So thank you very, very much. I know you're busy
1: too. Oh man, it's such a pleasure to be able to have this conversation with you. And yeah, thank you for reaching out to me. You do great work, Patrick. And congrats to you on everything.
0: All right, everyone, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you, Chris Van Vliet, one of my favorites. Love, love been watching his interviews. Such great stuff, man. Great guy, too. One of the very best in the business to do it. Thanks again, Chris. Also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Pulse Cellular, and of course, Audimute. So before I get up out of here, I want to ask that if you have not yet done so already, please go ahead, subscribe to this podcast, subscribe, rate and review, all that fun stuff. It really, really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can subscribe, listen on Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much everywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Also go hit up the More Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. I got podcast highlight clips from current and past shows up there. Some original audio content as well. Stuff that's exclusive to that channel, by the way. Not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, pack giveaways from time to time, thoughts, banning with other sports fans. I mean, that's where I'm parked. I'm always on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again so much for listening. I say it all the time, and I really, truly mean it. I appreciate each and every single person out there. Whether you love the podcast or whether you hate it, you're taking time from your day to give me a listen when there's like a gazillion other podcasts out there. Can't tell you how much that means to me. Very humble, very grateful. So thank you very much. Have a good one, and I'll be back. New episode real soon.
1: I'll catch you on the flippity-flip. Bye.